Well, good morning. I'm glad to see you all traverse the rain and all the nasty weather that was outside this morning to be here. Uh, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I know I did. It was a good time of rest and relaxation and uh, rejuvenation to get ready for getting ready for Christmas. Um, that will be here in four weeks. Um, and so... Uh, Getting in the spirit, getting ready. Um, Joseph has been uh, doing this series on gratitude uh, the past couple weeks, and so I'm going to finish out that series. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about true thankfulness. True thankfulness. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17 this morning. Uh, If you want to go ahead and turn there or uh, open up your iPad and tap a button to get there or do the same thing on your phone. Um, But that's where we're going to be this morning. So I want to kind of start off this morning with a little pop quiz. Uh, The college students who are in the room who are on break or the high school students who are on break are going to be like, I don't want a quiz, but we're going to kind of just have a little fun this morning. So uh, who can tell me when the first Thanksgiving was? The very first Thanksgiving. Any guesses? 1621 is the correct answer. October 1621. The original Thanksgiving was not November. It was a month earlier. It's okay. We'll forgive them for that. Um, (laughs) But, uh, so fun fact, uh, the first Thanksgiving was celebrated October 1621. um, And the premise behind this was because of the thankfulness that the pilgrims who came over on the Mayflower to escape uh, religious persecution, uh, to seek religious freedom, uh, they came over and a lot of their family and friends on that voyage over had unfortunately passed away. Um, And then when they got to Uh, America and had settled down and and were experiencing weather that they had never experienced because, you know, they landed in New England, uh, lots of snow. Um, They had never experienced that before, so there was a lot of uh, more sickness and death that plagued uh, the pilgrims. And so throughout the following year, uh, they were able to uh, get involved with the Native Americans, and the Native Americans helped them plant and taught them how to survive in the climate that they had not been used to. And so the next year after learning and having a bountiful harvest, they gave thanks and celebrated with the Native Americans um, the thankfulness that God had provided everything that they needed to survive, and not only to survive, but to also thrive in this new land that they had been in. And so, um, a few interesting facts. George Washington, the first president, was the first one to declare uh, a state of thanksgiving as a, uh, you take it and have a time of, of thanksgiving. Um, and that was kind of the, the way that it was uh, for the next 14 presidents. Every president would declare when a Thanksgiving celebration would be. It wasn't until Abraham Lincoln uh, came into office that he declared, uh, he never wrote anything down or anything like that, he declared that the fourth Thursday of November would be the national observance of Thanksgiving. And so uh, it was that way until about the 1940s when this one president, Franklin Roosevelt, Uh, kind of messed that up, and for two years in a row, uh, he celebrated Thanksgiving like two or three months later, Um, and nobody was happy about that, and so realizing his mistake, he signed into a bill, into legislation, uh, instituting that the fourth 
Thursday of November would be the national holiday of Thanksgiving. And so often, more often than not, we celebrate Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday of November every year. And it's a time where we get together with family and friends, most of us. Some of us try to be hermits and stay by ourselves. Um, But most of us spend it with family and friends, and we cook turkey in some form or fashion, whether it's deep fried in the oven, uh, turduncan, all these weird combinations with turkey. And then there are some people that choose to eat ham, shouldn't eat ham. Ham is for Christmas. Uh, Personal opinion, you can take that how you want it, but ham is for Christmas, okay? Um, Jesus ate ham when he was born, so it's ham on Christmas, all right? Um, And then uh, some other people eat fish. Uh, Turkey is Thanksgiving, okay? Turkey is is Thanksgiving. We're going to stick with turkey, all right? Um, But if you're like me as you were growing up or as you do now, there's this tradition that once you're finished eating, Uh, You go around the table and have a time of where everyone says what they're thankful for. And so usually the way it's done in my household is whoever finishes their plate first. So growing up, I knew I had to be a slow eater. And that's hard for me because I love food and I eat fast. So it was a bad combination. I had to kind of pace myself with the food. And another thing with Thanksgiving, it's the one holiday a year that it's okay for you to eat seconds. Nobody's going to judge you if you eat seconds on Thanksgiving. Every other day of the year, maybe a little bit of judgment there, but on Thanksgiving, it's totally okay. And so we have gotten into this habit that Thanksgiving and thankfulness and all this stuff is only celebrated once a year on this day where we get together and we take 20 minutes to say what we're thankful for that God has done for us. And really, Thanksgiving and thankfulness is not restricted to or limited to one day a week. Really, as Christians, thankfulness and true thankfulness should be expressed in our hearts every day because we have a great gift that we have received through Christ. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 17 this morning, and we're going to look at this uh, story uh, about ten lepers. And the premise of this is to show that... um, True thankfulness can come from an unlikely source, but true thankfulness comes no matter what. And so, first thing we see uh, is that our sin gets in the way of true thankfulness. Our sin gets in the way of true thankfulness. In verses 11 through 13 of chapter 17, we see, While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So the first thing that we see is Jesus is traveling. Now, this is very common of Jesus. Uh, He traversed through Jerusalem, Galilee, and that area, that whole region. That's where he focused his ministry on. Um, And that is the majority of where he was. And so he was making his way back to Jerusalem, and he stumbles upon this group of men. And the scripture tells us they had a skin disease uh, disease called leprosy. Now, leprosy in modern day is called Hansen's disease. It's a very, very bad skin disease. Um, And uh, back then, uh, Jewish people didn't really like anything that was unclean. Uh, If it was unclean, they stayed away from it. They didn't want to have anything to do with it, uh, didn't want to go near it, didn't want to touch it, didn't want to look at it. I mean, they just, if it was unclean, they stayed away. And so in their eyes, a person who was afflicted with leprosy was 
being punished by God. That person had done some uh, sin that is unforgivable in the sight of God that he cursed them with this disease. And so they had a, a, a way of keeping uh, the, the people who had been cursed with this disease, that's what they thought, um, away. And they were to be on the outside of the city. Um, and so we see this in Leviticus. Leviticus is the, the law that was given to the nation of Israel. And it says here in chapter 13, verses 44 through 45, it says, He is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean. His plague is in his head. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare. And he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. And so what we see here is there was this distinction that was given to this group of, uh, group of people, but also to anyone who had this disease. They had to wear torn clothing. They had to wear a covering over their face. They had to keep their heads bare or shaved. And they had to cry, unclean, unclean. It was because, uh, again, Jewish people didn't like anything that was unclean. So it was a way for them to spot these people from a distance. If you were a Jew and you saw somebody who had torn clothes and was, had a shaved head, uh, you knew to stay away because they were unclean. They had this disease and they thought this disease was very contagious. Okay? They thought that uh, if, if God had punished someone for this sin, well, why, why didn't I get punished for this sin? And so it was a very contagious disease. And here's the thing. This disease that these ten men had we see when Jesus gets to the outskirts of the city, these men approach him, but they keep distance. They keep a separation between them and Jesus. And our sin does the same thing for us, and we'll talk about this more later, but our sin causes this divide and this separation between us and God. And so because of that, we have no way as our sinful human selves to approach God, and these men they had no way to approach Jesus because of this disease that they had. They weren't allowed to go near anyone. And so we see Jesus have mercy and compassion on these ten men. And so next we need to look at how we can uh, are not to be the nine. So don't be the nine. Be the one. Be the one who demonstrates true Thankfulness. Verses 14 through 16 say this. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. So, from the previous passage, the only thing that we know about these men is that they had the same disease. That's all we know. But we could dig a little bit deeper based off of the rest of Scripture and come up with some similarities that these men had. So a few of these would be like, they were all afflicted with the same disease, we knew that. Uh, all were determined to do something about it. One of the men from the group didn't approach Jesus. Two of the men from the group didn't approach Jesus. No, all of the men in that group approached Jesus and wanted to be healed. All had heard about Jesus and believed that he might be able to cure them. Um, at this time, Jesus was doing a lot of traveling. He had crowds and people following him, and people knew his name. People knew the name of Jesus. People knew the signs and the wonders that Jesus had done. And so everyone in the land pretty much knew who Jesus was and what he was capable of. And so these men obviously would have known, in pass hearing passerbys and, and stories, they would have known the name of Jesus as well. 
They all appeal to Jesus and acknowledge him as master or rabbi, giving him the greatest rank that he could as a teacher. Master, rabbi, this was a sign of affection and endearment as a teacher. And then all in obedience to Christ's command proceed on their way to the priest. So they all follow Jesus' command. Jesus says, go present yourselves to the priests, and they all listen. None of them decline, none of them, none of them say anything, and then all of them are healed. And so these are just some similarities that these men have. We don't know much about the men. We don't know much about their lifestyle or anything like that. And some people ask, well, why did Jesus send these men to the priests? All throughout the stories in the New Testament, the priests are the antagonists in the story. Jesus is the protagonist. So the, 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 the thought of the protagonist sending people to the antagonist is not really a thing that we uh, think about often. It's because that it would never happen. Why would Jesus send someone to the priests who the priests are constantly trying to trap Jesus? They're constantly trying to uh, disapprove the fact that he claims to be the Son of God. And they are constantly trying to uh, get him in a place where they can get rid of him. So why would Jesus send these men to the priests? Well, it goes back to what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And the law clearly states in Leviticus 14, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, this is the law concerning the person afflicted with a skin disease. On the day of his cleansing, he is to be brought to the priest. The reason he was to go to the priest was to, so that way the priest could declare that he was clean once again. This was to reaffirm their social status. See, when they got this disease, they would be cast out to live on the outskirts of the city. And if you had a family or children, you could no longer come into contact with them. So they were sent out to live on the outside of the city. And so whenever someone was healed or cleansed of this disease... They had to go be declared that they were clean once again so that way their social status could be reaffirmed. And so that's the reason why Jesus sent these men to the priests. And so all the men listen. All of them go. They all go and they all are on their way. Now, if you're like me and have a big group of friends, if you make a joke or you make a comment or something, there is a big ruckus or uproar in that group. Right? If, if one friend makes a joke, everybody laughs. Uh, if one friend wants to go do something, they all go do something. You know, you picture that. So these men, we don't know how long they had been living together, but they knew, or we know that they had been uh, together for a long period of time because they had this disease. And so I would think that at some point they would have gotten very close, become friends. And so as they're walking on their way to go to the priests, uh, they're just casually talking to each other, walking and going. And one of them looks down or looks at the other and sees that skin disease is gone. And he checks himself and he starts freaking out. And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm clean. My skin's clear. What about yours? And there's this whole uproar of commotion because they've been clean. That's what I envision happened on this way. And so I envision a lot of shouting and screaming and, and laughing and, and uh, being excited that they had been healed. But we see this one man, this one man, out of all ten of them, decides, instead of at that moment going and getting my social status reaffirmed, I'm going to go back and say thank you. 
And so when this one man knew that he had been healed, he went back to the priests, or went back to Jesus, and fell on his face at, his, at Jesus' feet and said, thank you. And more interestingly enough than that is, this man, Luke takes the time and the ink to write out the fact that this man was a Samaritan. What we take from that is that uh, this was a big thing for a Samaritan to come back to Jesus and say thank you. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. Samaritans and Jews were always at each other. Uh, the instance with the woman at the well, when Jesus came up to her, the woman said, Who am I, a Samaritan, that I should offer or give you, a Jew, a drink? There was a lot of fighting between the two nations because the Jews thought of themselves highly because they were God's chosen people, and the Samaritans were people who married with other religions, other races, and they did not agree with how they lived their life, and so the Jews saw them as beneath. And so there was this contradiction between Samaritans and Jews constantly. We see that in the parable when Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan. People wouldn't think that a Samaritan would stop and save a Jewish person. And what Jesus was trying to explain is, they sin just like you sin, and sinners are who I am here for. And so because this man comes back and lays his face in the dirt at Jesus' feet, God accepted his thankfulness, and God accepts our thankfulness. In verses 17 through 19, we see, uh, it says, Then Jesus said, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he told him, Get up, go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Now, Jesus isn't talking directly to this person that is at his feet. That's not what he's doing. He's talking to the multitude of people that would have been around him. See, Jesus traveled with his disciples, so his disciples would be there, so he'd be talking to his disciples. But he would also be talking to the multitude of people that would have been following him. Jesus always had a way of attracting people in large groups. We see the feeding of the 5,000. There's a large group of people there. Jesus always had this multitude around him and followed him. And so he was talking to these people and not to the person. And see, he points out the fact that this man was a Samaritan. As even to go further and say, this man shouldn't want to come and say thank you to me, but he does. The thankfulness was more, the giving thanks was more important to that man than anything else. And we see here Jesus kind of saying this, uh, where are the other nine? There were ten healed, where are the others? Jesus isn't saying this to give himself a pat on the back or to say that he's the one who done the healing. No, Jesus more or less was upset at the fact that only one came back to give thanks to God than the others who had been healed. Because see, Jesus' whole time on this earth was to do one thing, and that was to point and direct us to God. That was his goal. That was his mission. Everything that he did was to point back to his heavenly father. And so to him, it was a slap in the face to God that God had done the healing, but these men, these other men didn't acknowledge their gratitude. And so instead of Jesus worrying about himself and, and how highly he can put himself, he's worrying about the thanksgiving that God should be receiving. 
And that's the same thing for us today. You know, when was the last time that you said a prayer of thanksgiving and gratefulness for your salvation? See, oftentimes we take that for granted. We're saved and then we go and we do our best to live a life for Christ. But when was the last time we actually sat down and said thank you for your gift that you've given me? The ability to be saved. The fact that you died on the cross. When was that last time that we said thank you? Because see, before sin... Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. They had communion with God. They had relationship with God. Everything was the way that God intended it to be. And this is the best way that I explain it to the students. Before, we were with God. After Adam and Eve decided that it was okay to eat the fruit, there became this chasm, this separation, this gap between us and God, separating us from Him. It'd be like if you went to the Grand Canyon and you stood on one side and your friends or your family went to the other side. There'd be no way to get across to see them. It'd be amazing if you could see them from that far, but you know, um, you won't be able to, to reach them to get across. But here's the, here's the beautiful part. Our sin causes this separation between us and God where God can't get to us and we can't get to God. But Jesus came and he provided this bridge, this way for us to go back into relationship with God. And it's a beautiful picture. Jesus came and he took his own life, he gave his own life so that way we could have eternal life. He created the way and he says it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God except through me. Jesus is the bridge that connects us to God. And so Jesus healed all ten. He didn't take their healing away. He gave it to him freely as he gave his life. But he, did one, he went one step further for this man that came back and gave thanks. Jesus forgave the sin of the man that came back and gave thanks. There's another story in where Jesus is, is walking through uh, this town. And, uh, this woman who had an issue of blood flow, uh, been to different doctors, tried different medicine, tried different remedies and things to, to heal her and cleanse her, but ultimately nothing worked. And so Jesus was coming into the town, and she knew that Jesus was the only way that she could be healed. And so she told herself, if I can only touch the end of his robe, I know that I will be healed. And so Jesus comes into the town, vast multitude of people surrounding Jesus. Everywhere he would have been and walked, it would have been like going to a concert. You can't go anywhere without bumping into somebody else. That's how many people were in this scenario. But this woman made a way, pushed her way through the crowd, got to Jesus, and touched his robe. Immediately, Jesus knew that power had been uh, gone out from him, and he turned to his disciples and asked what had happened, who had touched him, and they had no clue. And so in Luke chapter 8, we see this encounter. It says, When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. And the same interaction with the man that came back and gave thanks, Jesus says, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Jesus had forgiven the sins of the man. And this is something that hadn't happened yet because Jesus had not died on the cross, but he still offered forgiveness of their sins. And see, this man was, he was thankful for his physical healing. I would be too. If I had a skin disease that kept me from my friends and my family, I would be thankful too. But just that uh, this man was thankful for his physical healing, we as Christians should be thankful for our spiritual healing. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we have the ability to be thankful because we now are saved. We have eternal life. Our sin no longer separates us and God. We now have access to God through Christ. And so, what if tomorrow you had the things that you gave thanks for today? Right? So for some of us, that may be we may have a car because we were thankful that our car cranked up, because some of us, our car is a little worse for wear, and so when it cranks, we're thankful. Um, Some of us, it may be the food that we had at lunch and dinner, because we said grace and thanks for the food that was in front of us, but for some of us, it may not be as much. And it really changes your mindset and your mentality when you think of thankfulness this way. If you only had tomorrow what you gave thanks for today... I know for me, I sometimes take for granted giving thanks. And so it would really be hard for me tomorrow to survive. And so some of us, you know, we might end up with a meal and we might end up with a, with a, a, a car that works. Some of us may not. When we go and we do something for someone, there's two words that we want to hear. When we go and we fix, fix something, fix a leak, fix a tire that is blown, when we go somewhere and do something and for someone else that they can't do, we expect to hear two words. Uh, for me, this is true. This weekend, um, at the end of Thanksgiving, um, which it should be done, uh, if you start decorating before Christmas, you look crazy. Um, Christmas should be celebrated after Thanksgiving, not before. Um, That's a little crazy, because how are you supposed to go from celebrating Christmas to, all right, let's have some Thanksgiving, and then back to Christmas? That just seems like too much jumping, Um, too much much going through uh, holiday to holiday. Um, So as a a normal person would do, you start celebrating uh, Christmas, day after Thanksgiving, start decorating and and things like that. And so uh, this past weekend, I was at my parents' house celebrating Thanksgiving, and uh, it came time to start decorating for Christmas. And my parents are getting older, and so there's a lot of things that they can no longer do, and so I help uh, with as much as I can do. And uh, one of those things is getting the Christmas tree. Every year we get a live Christmas tree, and um, most of the time we go and cut it down and bring it home ourselves and set it up and do all that. But this year, uh, with the rain and everything that was you know, supposed to happen, you know, weathermen, they can never get anything right, um, we ended up going to a local place and picking up a tree. And so it took us 15 minutes to get the tree and get it back to the house. And 
I got the tree down off the roof of the car by myself. I undid it by myself. I stomped the needles out by myself. I know I, 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 know I don't look that strong, but trust me, I am. I, hand to God, right hand to God. I did all this myself, okay? I promise. Um, and so uh, did all this, cut the bottom off so that way the, the tree would start drinking water again and uh, put the base on and carry the tree in the house and there was only one thing that I wanted to hear. Now, granted, I love doing that. I love setting up a Christmas tree, but it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. If you have not gotten a real Christmas tree before, it's a lot of work, okay? It is a lot of work. So I sat down on the couch, and the only thing that I wanted to hear was two simple words, thank you. And more often than not, that's how we all are. When we do something for someone, we don't, we don't do it for a pat on the back, we do it because we care for the person, but it's still nice to hear those two simple words, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, if we like to hear those words, how much more do you think God loves to hear those words? The author and creator of everything that existed who didn't do anything for a pat on the back or for uplift for himself. He did it because he created us out of love. He sent his son out of love. But how much more do you think he wants to hear thank you? Thank you. A lot of times we often complain, right? We're complainers by nature. I know I am. There's this one thing about this season that I can't stand more than anything, and it's leaves, let me tell you something. I think they're beautiful. I'm right alongside you. I want to go up to the mountains. I want to see them change colors. I think they're beautiful. But at the end of the day, I don't want to deal with them. They're annoying. Like, my parents have four oak trees in their front yard, just in their front yard. That's a lot of leaves. And every year, I have two options. First option, I can mulch them and bag them. And the second option, I can use the blower and blow them down to the end of the road and we burn them. Now, both options require a lot of work. The first option, I have to cut the lawn once and then I have to go over it a second time, which takes even longer than the first time because the bagger on a little push mower is not that much. And so you have to dump it out, put it back on, go for you know, two more rows, take it off, dump it out, put it back on, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And then the second option, oh, it always gets on my nerves. I go to blow the leaves, and right as I go to start blowing them, the wind starts cutting back the opposite way. I'm like, blow the other way. How is the wind going over my house and going the opposite way of where I'm blowing? How is that possible? Blow the other way. And so I spend more time getting all the leaves into another pile because they've all gone everywhere else. So I get them all back into this pile, and then the wind stops. I wait for the wind to stop. And then I get them a little bit, and then the wind starts blowing again. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. But all, after all of this, I complain. I don't like leaves. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. I'm going to be like, listen, I know there's a reason. And trust me, it's beautiful. But why do they have to fall off? Like, is there a specific reason? Is there, like, is, I know it was your design, but it, what's the reason? Because I really have an ax to grind, you know? It's just like so much work. But all in all, we have this opportunity, instead of complaining, to be grateful and thankful. 
And the reason for this, uh, for this is because God and, and scripture, uh, scripture declares this to us, that God's mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says, Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies and gratefulness, faithfulness, love, everything that he gives us is new every morning. It's new every morning. And every morning we wake up and we complain about traffic and we complain about the people that we work with. Instead of, thank you, God, for allowing me to get up this, uh, this morning. Thank you for allowing me to have a breath in my lungs to be able to breathe. Thank you that my car started this morning because, you know, it's on its last leg. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have it, but thank you for letting it start this morning. Thank you for allowing me to work with the people that I do that constantly challenge me and strengthen me in my job. Thank you for allowing me to have a job to where I can make money and support my family. Instead, most of the time we complain about traffic on our way to work. We complain about the people that we don't like working with because they talk too much and we're trying to get work done. We don't like our job. We don't like coming home and not having food ready. Um, and a multiple plethora of things that you complain about on a daily basis. But here's the thing. There's so much more to be thankful for than to be uh, ungrateful for. Last week when Joseph did his little thing where he put the caution tape around and, and this side was uh, complainers and this side was people who said uh, thankfulness, thankful things. And it did. I was on that side. I felt a lot better than when I complained. I did. I felt so much better when I said thank you to someone instead of complaining. And so as much as we like to hear those two little words, thank you, God loves to hear thank you. So just as Christ had mercy on those ten lepers, God has mercy on us. And so I want to challenge you as we close today that now that the official holiday for Thanksgiving and the official time of Thanksgiving is at an end and we now begin to move into this time of Christmas um, that is going to be here in less time than Thanksgiving was, um, spend each and every day being thankful Spend some time saying thank you. Spend some time uplifting praise and honor to God because even the little things that, go, that seem to go wrong, there's a reason. There may be a reason that you wake up in the morning and you, you go to start your car to go to work and your car doesn't start. God allows that car not to start because he realized that if you were to start that car and go on your way to work, that accident that happened, you probably could have been involved in. There are many things that happen on a daily basis that God allows to happen to protect us and keep us safe. And there are things that God allows to happen in our lives to help us grow and strengthen us. And in each situation, we need to be able to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So as you go this week, as you go the rest of the year, and as you approach next Thanksgiving... Get in the habit and the practice of saying thank you on a daily basis so that way when it comes time to have that Thanksgiving meal and to go around the table, you are filled with much more joy because not only are you giving thanks that day, but you are thankful every other day.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us each and every day to be thankful. Lord, I pray that as we go this week, that we will be able to express in the opportunities that are good and the opportunities that are bad to be thankful. Your thankfulness, just like your mercy, is new, and we should honor that by giving you thanks. God, thank you for your word this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen.